0: happy friday friends welcome to difference makers on true talk 800 and the very first person i'd like to welcome back is my friend clark hilton a new daddy congratulations clark he's rolling his tired eyes at me but it gets better congratulations you'll sleep again 18 or so years from now so enjoy the newest blessing to your family and our special guest in the studio this afternoon is Ron Mel, Jr., who is the director of Compassion Ministries and Heart of the Word Radio, which has been on KPDQ seemingly forever. It's a real staple of the radio ministry here. Based in Portland, Heart of the Word with Ron Mel, Sr. is heard on 93.9 KPDQ weekdays from 1.30 to 2 p.m. and also 1.30 to 2 a.m., for those of you who may keep some later hours like myself, Ron is available at 503-626-0101, a nice easy-to-remember number. You can also email him at info at compassion-ministries.org, and you can always go to the website heartoftheword.org. So it's a really uh, good afternoon to have you. Sons, come back out. Ron, thank you for joining us today. And thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's good to have you out here. Tell us about some of the things, not only about Heart of the Word and Compassion Ministries, but let's start off with yourself. How, how was life growing up as the son of Ron Mel, for instance?
1: <laughs> uh, I think probably a lot of pastors' kids can attest to this, but um, it's not really something you appreciate as much when you're in high school um it's not uh you know saying your dad's a pastor at that time in life is not kind of kind of not the cool kid thing um and uh and it's funny because uh i actually remember a conversation i had with my dad at one point and, and this now we're going to start the program all serious now cuz <laughs> i apologize for that but we had That's a conversation okay. and and um i remember him uh, the context conversation just saying are are you embarrassed of me um and i and you know, I'm ashamed now to say that I didn't say anything, but I didn't say no. And, um, and, and, and it was, you know, and there was a bunch of stuff going on and I was a kid, you know, I was 16 and it was in the context of a bunch of things, but, but man, now looking back at the man he was and, 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 all of that, um, I can appreciate now that I'm an adult, um, the lessons I learned and the things that he taught me. And, and so, um, it was, uh, you know, I guess it was pretty Typical in the sense of of in those days, it it didn't seem like the most exciting thing to be a pastor's kid. But the more I grew, um, I really appreciate who he was.
0: Do you think it's any different in being a PK or or a pastor's kid or a missionary kid versus just being a teenager? I mean, haven't they done recent studies saying that the teenage brain isn't fully developed to a certain age, which gives my daughter some great (laughs) excuses on forgetting to empty the sink, uh, et cetera?
1: I think you— I think the 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 biggest way that I see it as different um, is that you are kind of in that proverbial fishbowl. Um, you know, you've got people in the church who are watching you. I, I mean, I remember, I remember, you know, my dad coming home from work and, well, so and so said they saw you at such and such movie. Well, you know what I mean. So you're 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 having to deal with that in addition to all the normal things that teens that teens deal with. Um, I don't think that that's an excuse for the way pastors' kids sometimes sometimes act. Kids are kids, and like you said, they're all they're all kids, and they all they they all do things. It's just that when when PKs do something, you hear about it because you got you got you got watchers, and you, so I think that's Anytime the hard thing. time you
0: stand out, it's tough on the kid. It it, it is it is. Now, it's, oddly enough, my dad was an electrical engineer, mm-hmm. uh, but he was the only Chinese. Uh, his was the only Chinese family in Brooklyn, a laundromat family, mm-hmm. uh, in a town of Jewish kids. So wow. anytime there were any problems, frankly, it's... It was, the, it was the kid throwing <laughs> rocks at the at the
1: streetlight. Right. Uh, right.
0: Whether or not he was even there, right. he got blamed for it. So how much more scrutiny has to fall on a pastor's kid whose dad is up there every it's, Sunday and so prominent in the community?
1: It's, it's the, it, You know, and I think you get it. I think you get it in the church and then I think you also get it at school because at school you get it as oh you're the PK and you have these you know everybody has these thoughts of how you should act or how you shouldn't act and if you outside if you act outside of that then um, you know, then you can cause a stir or whatever. You so, really so I, can't win. No, can't, you really, yeah. really can I, I
0: mean, you run straight lace. There's, Oh, you're just a fuddy-duddy. Okay. Yeah. Either that or you're the big rebel and therefore you're the right. hypocrite.
1: Right. And it's, you know, and it's not only, I think it's obviously it's not only, I mean, there's people with uh, other, uh, you know, fathers and mothers in different voc- vocations that kind of deal with that too. But like I... Like cops that's what kids I, are, for instance. Yeah, cops kids are, yeah. So, um yeah, but that's that's I, I think the, I think you do get a lot of extra extra scrutiny. So there's a little bit of extra pressure. I now, think. were you an only child? Any siblings growing up? I have a brother who's four years younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that was uh, yeah, that was enough of an age that I was I was the age difference was enough that I could run things. So that was good. <laughs> that's, okay. You always want to yeah. You, it, it was it was no. My brother's great. In fact, my brother is a pastor now. Oh, how funny! Um, Did and, you expect uh, that growing up? That he would be a pastor? Mm-hmm. Um, no. Uh, he was uh, very into politics, um, Had a, went, uh, graduated from Lamont, had a couple degrees. He actually interned for Mark Hatfield at one point, was in Washington, D.C. for a little while, and was pretty much headed into politics. And um, I think his—I don't want to speak for him, but I will— I think his time in uh, D.C. kind of uh, changed that for him. Some of the stuff he saw back there— um, I think maybe he thought that trying to make a difference in that world was, was going to be a little bit tougher than he thought it was going to be. And that maybe making a difference, uh, you know, back home in more of a kind of a pastoral kind of a role might be, um, that, that was the tug he felt, I think. So, so, so no, didn't, didn't Mel expect it. For went sure. to
0: Washington. He had no idea he was going to experience that and have any aspirations toward becoming a pastor, no, did he? No.
1: No, I think he came home and uh and and started working at the church, working at my dad's church for a while. And in fact he he actually uh did the program for a while. He edited and voiced the program there and that was kind of his job for a while at the church. But just being I think in that environment and then he eventually became a, an assistant pastor and um and then eventually took his own church. So um yeah I didn't d really didn't see that coming. He's kind of between the two of us, I, I think people would describe he's kind of more the quiet one. Um, and And he 's not shy, but he comes across that way because he 's just kind of the the, the the strong, silent type, so you wouldn't expect that he would be someone that would be comfortable being a public speaker or whatever but um, he's he 's grown into it so
0: do you think god 's up in heaven kind of smirking and rubbing his chin about putting people outside of their natural <laughs> comfort zones just so he he can be better seen through them
1: that i I think that happens all the time in fact, I know you, you were even mentioned earlier that you you know some of the things that we go through. We have no idea where we're going to end up, and, and we go through things that, that, you know, why am I doing this? And and then you get someplace finally, and you see how God uses all those things that happen, but you don't see it till you get there. And um, I, I think that's definitely true. I'm, I'm sure he finds that amusing. I, I would. <laughs> so, so
0: whether you're the son or daughter of a, a pastor or a musician or a school principal or someone in the public eye or a politician or something mm-hmm. like that, do you have any good words of encouragement or advice?
1: I think, you know, there's, there, there's a line you have to walk. Um, because I think on the one hand, you know, and I I had a lot of conversations with my dad about this. Um, you want to, you know, you want to be a good witness. You want to present yourself in, in, in a good way and, and be as blameless as you can and all that. Um, but you also, I think, and I think there's evidence that this happens. I think you can drive yourself crazy trying to be all things to all people. So I think I think my advice is is you know do you know do what's right and and do what do what you feel is right and and be a good example, but but don't but you've got to be yourself too. And so don't beat yourself up too much when you make mistakes or whatever because it's it's going to happen. And um, uh, but I think everybody has to has to has to just Walk that line. Um, it, it's just a. It, it's it's hard being. It's hard, be, you know, trying to walk a blameless walk, but then still trying to be yourself sometimes. So, in retrospect, maybe it wasn't as
0: fun, particularly in the high school age mm-hmm. with your classmates and friends and surroundings. But what are some of the best acts aspects of your memory from being the son
1: of Ron Mel? You know, um, some of the things I remember uh, I would say one of the most, you know, one of the things that I looked the most finally on and remember was he, he used to travel a lot. Um, he spoke all over the place and, um, and and this continued past that age because I, I, I went away to college and I came back and I worked at the church for about seven years before my career changed. And during that time, I worked really closely with him, um, I uh, traveled with him a lot, especially as his health, um, you know, he went through different ups and downs in his health. He had leukemia for uh, 23 years, which is what he eventually uh, passed away from. And I think, uh, being able to travel with him, um, watching him, you know, we go to Hong Kong or we go to Brazil or we go to, you, you know, wherever he happened to be speaking, um, watching him interact with people, um, I think I, I appreciate the fact that, and I tell people this when they call, um, he he was the same person uh, live and and at home. He was the same person at home as he was live. When you saw him in the pulpit, um, there was no, uh, you know, nowadays, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who we find out they're one thing in the pulpit and then something happens and you find out that they're a, a different person. And um, you know, I can unequivocally state that 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 is not true of him. I mean, the person that you thought he was—if you listened to the program or you saw him in person—that's um, really that's really who he was. Um, and and I really, you know, looking back, um, learning learning that. I mean, I learned I learned a ton of stuff from him that that it, we don't appreciate when we're younger. But then as we get older, um,
0: we do we appreciate we them more. It, huh? So whether sure. we're mentors, coworkers, neighbors, or parents, the example we lead often probably speaks more of the love of Christ than any words we could share with others.
1: I I believe that there you know there are people that are great at event, you know the there you know there's those people that sit on the plane and talk to everybody and evangelize all the time and then there's people that do it with their life and
0: Our special guest is Ron Mel Jr and you're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Heart of the Word with Ron Mel airs on KPDQ 93.9 FM weekdays from 1.30 to 2 a.m. And also 1.30 to 2 a.m. And our very special guest today on Difference Makers is Ron Mel Jr., who also serves as Director of Compassion Ministries and Heart of the Word Radio. However, you're not a pastor uh, like your younger brother. Right. Tell us about the career path that God has seen you through over the years.
1: I um, got out of high school, went to college, went to college back east, came home, um, and wasn't really sure, like many kids when they got out of college, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I went, uh, I, I, I came on at the church, I worked with youth, um, did a lot of that kind of thing, which I which I loved. Um, but I, I, I had always kind of had a, a, a little bit of a tug towards uh, law enforcement on some level, wasn't sure what that was going to look like, but I, I had been interested in that. And so somewhere through my career there at, at, uh, at when I was, the, I was at the church for seven years. Um, I, uh, decided that I, you know, it, it was interesting cause I, I guess I should tell this part of it. I, I, I obviously always kicked around, should I be a pastor? And it wasn't as much that I felt that I felt like I should, it was more, well, my dad does this, and, you know, and he's he's pretty known and he's got a pretty, you know, significant church and everything. And like maybe, the son of a farmer would say, should I be a farmer? Yeah, exactly. 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 Um, but I also knew enough, and and I guess working with my dad and, and uh, his his best friend had died a few years earlier in a plane crash. And I think after that, we became even closer, um, not just as father-son, but more as um, on a, you know, I hesitate to say co-worker status. So but do you but, remember how old you were when his— Friend uh, it would, it, I would have been in the mid, mid, uh, I would have been about 25, mid, mid twenties. And, um, and so he would talk to me about a lot of stuff cause he knew he could trust me. You know, there's a lot of things that you hold as a pastor that you can't tell anyone and, and whatever. And we talked about a lot of things. And so where I'm going with that is I knew, um, I think maybe I had the advantage of knowing a lot more about pastoring than most people do when they get into it. Um, and and I always knew, and I think I jokingly said this to you on the phone, but I'm, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm nice enough uh, to be a pastor. You have to be, you know, you really have to, I, I say that jokingly, but I, I, I really questioned whether I, it was a fit for me personality wise. And I'd always been interested in law enforcement. Um, and so I literally, uh, I, I literally, uh, went away and, and took a couple days away. Um, and I, and I just kind of laid it out. On the table before the Lord, and I said, uh, "I, I, you know, I'm, I'm again, I'm not one of those. I, I, there's probably two or three times in my life when I can say I really felt like God told me this. I'm not one of those people that's like, well, God told me to run down to the store today, but and that's great if you do, and that's great if He speaks to you like that. But for me yeah, personally, God tends
0: not to pick my personal
1: choice in breakfast cereals. <laughs> although I have friends who are convinced that He does, and right. God bless them. And it, exactly, exactly. Um, but for me, I just, um, I'm, I, there, there are only certain things when I look back and I say, I know he said this at this time. And, and I really feel like on this trip, uh, uh, when I took this time away, you know, he really said to me, um, what, what came out to me is that this, the things that I'm doing at the church that I love doing and where I felt I was effective working with you, things like that. I can do that just as well as a volunteer as I could do at work in there. Um, whereas, Uh, the law enforcement thing was just, you know, it was kind of a, I really felt like I had a choice. Um, I really felt like it would have been okay to go either way, but I feel like God, you know, my dad always said, um, one of his big things was, um, you know, the, the, uh, trust in him, he'll give you, he'll give the desires of your heart. Well, that doesn't mean that he gives you what you want. It means that he puts the desire in you so that, you know, you're, you're desiring the right thing, right?
0: That, that has to crack and, your top five of right.
1: misused <laughs> right. Bible verses right. on
0: bumper stick. Right. right.
1: And so, and so I really believe that, that, you know, I, I mean, maybe it would have been a time, ty- a season of time at either one, and I would have come back to where I am, but I think I could have gone either way, but I really just believe that 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 was the direction to go. And so um, I became a reserve police officer. I did that for a couple of years. Um, you know, I went in and, and I had a pretty good, uh, on a on a on a private citizen level, I had a decent resume, but they basically were like, "Hey, you got no law enforcement experience. You know, we don't know if you're going to freak out at the first sign of, of whatever. So, we'd like you to be a reserve for a while." So, I did that for about two years, um, and uh, and then I got hired full time. I worked in Beaverton, the Beaverton Police Department. So,
0: what does being a reserve mm-hmm. uh, compel you to do? Did were you shadowing a full time officer? You, for yeah, a while, you go or what?
1: through um, you go through Reserve Academy, and I think it's even a little more formalized now than it was when we did it. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's different department department, but typically you go through that, you'll go through the training. Um, and then you will agree to give them so many hours a month of time. Um, usually it's like 20 hours or 30 hours. Um, and that's working events and things like that. But then, then the, the, the payoff is you get to ride with the regular officers and you, you become a second guy in the car and you learn how to do everything and they get, and their payoff is they get to watch you. So they get to see how you react uh, when you've been there a while and if, and if they think they might hire you, then the regulars will start maybe getting you in situations where they want to see how you're going to react because they're doing a little more looking at you and things like that. And, um, and, 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 and at the church, you know, we had a, a uh, you know, we, I had Mondays off there. So I, I, I went out and worked every Monday. I mean, there were, there were months when I put in hundred hours volunteer at the department before I was even hired. So. Um, did that for a while and, and eventually got hired full-time, um, and had, uh, several different positions. I worked patrol for a while. And then I, um, went to, uh, the, uh, Washington County interagency gang unit. So I worked gangs for about three years. Um, and then the last two and a half, three years of my career, I, I was assigned to the FBI, to the joint terrorism task force. So I worked, they, they deputize you as a federal officer and, uh, as a deputy marshal is what they do. And then you work out of the FBI office downtown. Um, and I worked terrorism cases, um, that's all, you know, post nine 11 with the JTTF and stuff. And, um, so I, I, I had a, uh, I had an interesting career, um, and I got to do a lot of fun things. I got to work a lot of fun cases and, um, do any stand out in your memory? Um, that you'd be we, allowed to talk about? Yeah. Well, when I when I was yeah, that's exactly. I mean, it sounds so dumb and cliche, but when I when I was when I was with the bureau, when I was assigned to the bureau, we worked a pretty significant uh, undercover case that actually had international uh, nexus, and we worked that for, you know, between two and three years, and that was probably. I mean, that was the most significant thing I did, and it, and it was it was fun, and, and and it it literally was. I mean, even when I was work, like the, the case just wrapped up. Uh, a year or two ago, you know, about five years, six years after I got out of law enforcement, the case continued on. And, uh, I just, when the case wrapped up only then was I able to tell my wife exactly, I mean, she knew kind of generally, but only then was I able to tell her exactly some of the concepts of the case and some of the places I'd gone and stuff like that. So did she quickly learn not to ask how your day at work was? (laughs) You know, she rode. she went out on a ride along with me one time uh, she, I, I typically, when I was on patrol, I typically work graveyard and, and swing shift. Cause I like working at night. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a late night guy like you. Um, and, uh, she came out with me one time and we were driving through the middle of Beaverton. And, and, uh, I remember a couple guys had gone to serve a warrant. And so they got on the radio and said, we're going out at this kind of a known bad guy's house. He's got a warrant. They, you some of these, some of these guys, you know, where they live and every, every other, every other month they got a warrant. So you go out and arrest them and you know, it's just some of them you get to first name basis with them basically. So uh so I get it so we so these guys call out on the radio and say uh, yeah we're going to we're going to go out for this warrant well about 30 seconds later they get back on the radio everybody's screaming well what we find out is what they did is they used pepper spray on the guy um they didn't really follow uh, what we trained, which is, you typically don't do that in an enclosed space. Um, but they had used pepper spray inside. And so all three of them are in a big fight and everybody's blind. No one can see. And they're rolling around the apartment and they're screaming for cover and all this kind of thing. So I'm doing, you know, uh, X miles per hour. We won't say through, through downtown Beaver, trying to get to this place, basically forgetting my wife's in the car. Um, and uh, shortly after that, I dropped her off, and she never asked to ride along again. So um, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, yeah. Here
0: is lunch. I, Have a nice day to your body. I still, yeah,
1: I still owe her for that one, I think. But
0: that's just crazy. So I'll make you bet your your prayer life got stronger on some of these <laughs> visits working <laughs> law enforcement, didn't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh it's a it's a crazy world, and you know, I know. um people look at law enforcement and, and, you know, you get concerned that you get, you get cynical and whatever, but, but it's, you go out there and, I mean, literally almost everybody lies to you in, in the context of law enforcement. I'm not saying everybody in the world is a liar, but I'm saying in the context of what you do and it quickly, I mean, I mean, here I am a church kid, right? Pastor's mm-hmm. kid growing up. And, and, and I, I, it, it took me about the first two weeks for my primary training officer to teach me, uh, that you always have to assume someone's lying to you until they prove themselves, not the opposite, because that's, you know, and I, I I'm not talking in the sense of, of, I, I'm not talking in the sense of prosecution. So I'm not saying everyone's guilty and proven innocent. I'm not saying that I'm saying when you go up and and you pull someone over and they say, have you been drinking tonight? No, you know, well then how come you you smell like alcohol and your car's weaving all over the road. I mean, I, I'm talking about that kind of stuff. People tend to uh, fudge the truth a little bit. And um, so, but I think, People that, people that really take that to heart, then they get cynical. And that's why a lot of cops, I think, have problems at home and whatever. I I think I, because of my personality, was able to just kind of set it aside. So
0: you were able to turn it off once the, the job was over.
1: I, I think it's a personality thing. And that's why you go through, you know, people fall through the cracks, but that's why they do psych tests. And that's why they do all this testing and all these interviewing, because um, you really, you know, I, I know guys that you know, you see things, obviously you see a lot of, a lot of horrible things and, um, guys that can't turn that off, that they, they can't leave it at work and that go home and then they bring it to their wife and their kids. And, and it's, you know, that's, it's a family breaker, it, or it,
0: a marriage breaker, isn't it?
1: It is, it is. And, and it's just, um, and it's nothing, it's nothing wrong with those guys. It's just people's personalities. Some people can really separate it and some people can't, you have to comp- compartmentalize it and,
0: So would you have any words of encouragement to share with someone who's maybe not wired to turn it off so easily, yet they work in law enforcement or maybe they have a job in a prison? What would you share with them to encourage them outside of the job?
1: Boy, I think, I think you, you you know, you can't tell someone to change their personality. But I think the thing I would encourage people that are in that situation is, you know, you're, you know. God and your family and your church, that comes first. Um, the job, granted, it's a great job and it's and it's a career, not a job, but that that has to come second. And, and you just, you can't, you do all you can for the people that you work for, but you just can't worry about it because beyond what you can do, there's nothing you can do, if that makes sense. And you just really have to, you know, you just really have to focus on what's important to you and then at your job, you just do the best you can. And, and don't expect too much from yourself just do the best you can
0: but if you can't separate the two i think that's a recipe for danger
1: i i think so uh, that's uh, I, i'm not even sure you know uh, the best advice to give someone that can't separate that it's it's hard
0: so was it easy for you to leave law enforcement
1: um no it was it was it was tough and that's kind of a, i eventually Got hired federally. Got hired by the Secret Service. I worked for the Secret Service for a little less than a year, um, and and that was that had been my goal forever. And so I went through this whole, what's going on, God? Because I had worked for ten years basically to get here, to get there, and then uh, and then for various uh, reasons it just wasn't a good fit, and I resigned. and And then that was when I was really like, you know, what so was all of this for?
0: Let's expand more about that when we return to Difference Makers on True Talk eight hundred. Ron Mel Jr is in the studio. He's the director of Compassion Ministries and Heart of the Word Radio, which is heard on KPDQ 99.3 FM weekdays AM and PM from 1:30 to 2. So Ron, very good to have you in the studio and again. you were telling us about your law enforcement career and how it had built up. So can you continue that story for us.
1: Yeah, I I I guess the the thing and I think you and I were talking about it a little bit before we came on the air but It's, it's so interesting how, how sometimes your plan for your life and the way you think it's all going to lay out is, is obviously not the way that it, it ends up happening. And a lot of people experience that. Um, but with me personally, I, I had always had a goal of federal law enforcement. So my local career was, you know, a lot of times I made choices as to putting in for different, you know, positions or assignments or whatever I, I put in for those things, um, thinking ahead towards what's going to build my resume, what's going to give me this thing so I can apply. So 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 I do finally I I, I apply with Secret Service because I uh, when I had been assigned down at the FBI, we worked some security for some events. I got to know some of the Secret Service people locally here and um and and ended up on applying and ended up getting hired and and so I thought, "Hey, I'm here. It's I've arrived. This is it. This is what I've done all this for." And then within less than a year, um, here I am resigning for, you know, various, various reasons. My wife just had some health issues and I, I had some other, you know, some other issues and, and it just wasn't a good fit, ended up not being a good fit. And so, um, then, then you're back to square one. Then you're like, well, I just well, now what? gave up. So now do I go back to pushing a patrol car around or do I do something else? Well, um, uh, you know, Compassion Ministries uh, came up in the interim. But we we had we had we were looking for a new director at the time, and the board kind of came to me and said, "Would you mind being the director?" And I said, "No, but I'll be an interim until you find someone." Um, and here we are, six seven years later. I'm still there, um, but I've still had the tug, and I've still been kind of like trying to figure out how all this fit together. And so, fairly recently, um, my my former boss, my former chief, Beaverton uh, Police Chief, resigned, and he and I have now just real recently started a business together. We're going to be doing, or we are doing, and we'll be doing kind of private investigation, executive protection, consulting, this kind of thing. And so even even looking at the Compassion Ministries piece, I've learned so much. Like I'm not not a business guy. I've never taken, I never took a business class in college. I don't know any of that kind of stuff. But having been a director now for a few years and dealing with taxes and dealing with fees and dealing with all the the numbers stuff that you have to do. That's not the fun stuff. You know, the fun stuff is stuff like this and, and getting to talk to people and, and having our people call in and talking to them on the phone. I love that. Um, but, but there's, the, there's the business aspect of it. And, and I've learned so much in the last. So now that even dovetails into, you know, this new thing that, that, that we're starting, which hopefully will be, um, you know, I, I really want to do both. I, I want to keep, um, you know, I, I compassion ministries is very important to me. And, and I think the message is important and we hear, From new listeners all the time. We've been on the air forever, and my dad's been, he passed away 10 plus years ago, and we're still getting new listeners, which to me is just amazing. Um, Doesn't that just
0: go to show you, though? It's not about us. It's not our presentation or our oratory skills or anything like that. It's the word of God. It is truth, and there will always be a need for that. There will always be a market for new listeners, younger as well as older, and it doesn't matter if the what the medium is Very the true. word of truth is still the word of truth but
1: it 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 just shows that he can you know he puts all the pieces together and and i mean it's it you hear it from people all the time and it doesn't really help you when you're in the middle of it but sure. but i'm just one more voice that's saying you know if you're in the middle of things right now where you're just going why is this happening the way it is um you know i've been there other people have been there and he will bring it around and he will make everything fit together um but it just it, it just takes time and when the time's right it, it happens and so.
0: forgive me if this sounds cliched but my old pastor's <laughs> illustration was if you look at the back of a tapestry all you see is threads of different mm-hmm. colors and it looks like a mess but when you turn it around and see the big picture that's once a God finally reveals it to you then it kind of makes sense yeah and, and your whole story about the career change about getting what you wanted and then choosing to walk away from it mm-hmm. reminds me of my, of my favorite movie of all time which is any guesses
1: you're going to put me on the spot.
0: But... Uh, no, it's, it's a wonderful life. Okay. And right, I right, picture right. you taking the interim job uh, of and saying, I don't want this, or uh, uh, only on a temporary basis, because I've got big dreams and big plans. Right. And you made it sound so easy, but was it difficult walking away from what you had when your wife's health issues came up?
1: Uh, there's a million. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it wasn't just that there were, there were a whole bunch of things that just kind of came together to just make it not be the fit that, that I thought it was going to be. And, 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 and in the middle of that, that's when you're going, okay, God, did I, did I make a mistake or am I learning something? Um, and, and I don't believe I made a mistake because every, uh, door, I mean, even just getting hired there, you know who gets hired there? My friends give me That's a hard huge. time. They're like, "How on they're earth like, did you get like, hired
0: with your experience to to be, to go federal?"
1: Yeah, well, even yeah, I mean, even and even just getting through the process and 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 getting hired is is amazing. And I and I know God was. I mean, I live there. You know, typically it can take a year and a half to two years to get hired. I got hired in a year. I, the, you have to be hired by your 37th birthday because they have an age, uh, you have to mandatory retirement is 57. You have to be hired by 37 so you can get your 20 years in for retirement. I got hired five days before my 37th birthday. Um, after, you know, roughly two year process that they s- shrunk down to a year to get me in. Um, so I know God was in it. I know it was what I was supposed to do, but then it's almost like even more than you're going well, why it's, it's one thing if you, it's one thing, if you push ahead with something and you think maybe it's not the right thing mm-hmm. and then it doesn't work out. Cause then you're like, well, it wasn't the right thing. I knew it maybe wasn't the right thing, but this, I'm like all along, there were miracles to get me into this thing. And then, it and, and then you, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, you're really not supposed to be doing this right now. Well, why? I have, I have no clue why. Um, and, and, and as you said, when, when I first Started in with the Compassion Ministries, it was kind of like a well, I'll help out here for a little while until I find something else. But then over time, um, that it did become, you know, is 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 sitting in front of a computer and, and talking on the phone every day really me? No, it's not really me. Um, and that's why with this other thing that I'm doing, I'll, I'll get to do some of the things that I enjoy that kind of feed me as a as a as a person and feed my desires. However, Compassion Ministries, whereas at first it may not have felt like it has grown. You know, I've grown to see how important it is. I've grown to um, love the, 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 the people and, and, the, and it's just become, um, it's become very important to me and I, and I, and I wouldn't want to give it up now. You know, I mean, I, I want to do both. I don't want to, so it, 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 you know, God can take something that just may seem like an interim thing and he can make it something that you really love. Um, that's, you know, that's my point. Um, and I've, I've seen that. so,
0: so when did it become yours versus becoming your family's legacy when did you take owner of it ownership of it for yourself
1: i think um you know we still we still run things through the filter of you know would would dad have wanted it this way um we don't always I'll give, I'll give you an example. I guess when, when it, when it, when it changed for me is when I had to maybe make a couple, make some decisions, um, that here's the example. He never talked about money at the church. Uh, once a year he would, he would, he, we, we joked about, you know, the sermon on tithe or whatever. And it really wasn't a sermon on tithe, like give it. It was just because people need to know about tithe. Um, but he never asked for money. Um, we never talked about money you know, that it just wasn't his thing. If, if he was, if we were going to build a building at the church there, he would mention it one time. And then he would wait for the money to come in. When the money came in, he would pay cash for it and be done with it. Didn't finance things, didn't, didn't do whatever. So it just, he would never ask for, for stuff like that. And so now fast forward, we're, we're, we're here at Compassion Ministries and at, and at some point um, we need to ask because, you know, radio is not cheap. It it is what it is, and and running a ministry is 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 not cheap, and um, so we need we need uh you know we need support from people. So would he want to ask for money? No, he wouldn't want to ask for money. But because I feel it's important, and my family feels it's important for his for for the sermons to still be available to people, um, we got to make that decision to do it. So I think when you know I think when you take ownership of it is when you kind of start making some decisions that, um. Are, are, they're, they're your decisions. They're not only filtered through the, the family and the what would he have done kind of a thing, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. So if someone wanted to help contribute to Heart of the Word Radio and Compassion Ministries, what's the best way to get in contact with you?
1: Uh, they can they can call us at the office, the uh, 503-626-0101. Um, they can, uh, or visit the website and the address and everything is on the website. And, um, that's just heart of the word dot org, heart of dot org. Um, and, uh, you know, we love to hear from people. Um, there, you know, they're, we, we have sermons and books available, but Hey, if you just want to call and talk, we, we, we like that too. So,
0: and maybe you're a long time listener of heart of the word, or you're familiar with the work of Ron Mill jr. And compassion ministries. And maybe, better still, you're really good at Twitter or <laughs> Facebook or Instagram or social media or the next big thing coming up. You may want to contract uh, contact Ron on that at 503-626-0101 or shoot him an email at info at compassion-ministries.org. That's info at compassion-ministries.org. More information is on the website, as expected, at heartoftheword.org. And our very special guest today is Ron Mel, Jr., as you're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Heart of the Word with Ron Mel, Sr. is heard on KPDQ 93.9 FM weekdays from 1.30 to 2 p.m. and also 1.30 to 2 a.m. And our very special guest in the studio is his son, Ron Mel, Jr., the director of Compassion Ministries and Heart of the Word Radio here in Portland. And if you've got some social media experience and you're familiar with and appreciate what they do at Compassion Ministries and Heart of the Word, please shoot Ron an email at info at compassion-ministries.org. So growing up in in the ministry, Ron, can you tell us what your expectations were, particularly after your, your father's passing?
1: Expectations of um,
0: of where the radio ministry was bound where, to go at that where point. that would go,
1: um, you know. At at our expectation, really, when when he you know at the point at which he passed away, our expectation was, um, you know, we we had some money. Compassion Ministries at that time was just a fund; it wasn't really a functioning ministry. Um, all, all the money that he wrote a bunch of books, and all the money from his books, he didn't keep it; it all went into this fund. Um, and he would give that money away personally. Like I, I was giving you an example earlier, if, if, if someone was a, a pastor who was maybe going to go um, uh, pioneer a church in, in Montana and they wanted to come in for counseling before they left, he would, they would come in he would pray with them and then he could open his drawer and take his compassion ministry checkbook out and give them some money. Um, and it didn't go through the church. It didn't have to be approved. It was his own money. It was from his books. And, and so, um, so I, our expectation, we had so so when he passed away, we had that chunk of money. Our expectation was that you know over a couple of years, maybe um, we would use that money and it would go away, and then we the program would go away, and then then that would be that, and and everyone would just kind of you know we just kind of fade off into the <laughs> fade off into the sunset. Um, but as the program continued, it became you know it was it was as if not more popular. Um, and, and so then it, then we kind of had to make this transition from, uh, well, we're going through the money we have, so we have to, if we're going to keep this going, we have to become a functioning ministry. And, and that kind of was where it led us. Um, but I think, um, I, it, yeah, so that was, that was kind of a, a, a transition that we had to, to go through.
0: So when was the light bulb moment where God's kind of either instantaneously or gradually turned your heart toward we've got to keep this thing on the air.
1: I think just in, uh, in begin once I started working there, um, because I was on the board before. So we were still, we had someone else that was a director and we, once I started working there, um, and, and I had, and I started to have personal contact with, with our listeners and our supporters. Um, and I, and I, and I started hearing from, uh, people who had just found the program and, 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 you know, said, man, I, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, you hear it, I have a hard time finding a church or whatever. So to be able to turn on the program and kind of get this meat and, meat and potatoes Bible teaching, um, you know, the programs are all from 1990 to 2003. We have a rotation that we run through from, from those 13 year or uh, those years. And, and so, but I'll have people that call and say, uh, can I talk to him? Well, Unfortunately, you can't. I wish you could, um, but they'll say, "Can I talk to him?" Not realizing from listening to the sermon that it, that it didn't occur last week because he didn't believe in talking about politics. He didn't believe in uh, once in a while. There he likes sports, so once in a while there'll be a reference to maybe who won the Super Bowl that'll give that'll that'll date it. Um, but other than that, um, you know, you can listen to it and, and you wouldn't know that it didn't happen because it's just biblical principles and and so to answer your question when I got there and when I started hearing from people, um, personally, you know, not just knowing, yeah, we hear it's a good program and KPDQ says it's pretty popular or whatever, but hearing from people personally who said, Hey, listen, you know, God used this to change my life or whatever. Uh, that's, that's what, that's when it became important, uh, so to speak to me. I mean, it was always important, but that's when it became personal.
0: It changed then.
1: Sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, we have, uh, we have a great group of people, um, that support us or, you know, volunteer at events or whatever, and, and, um, just, just amazing people. Um, and, and, uh, and, and then there's new people all the time and, and there's, you know, young people and old, I mean, we don't have really a demographic. I think, um, uh, yeah, we just, we have, we have older people, younger people. We have lots of different, uh, ethnic groups that I talk to that listen, did that
0: surprise you to find that out about some of your listeners coming from it, different backgrounds than you expected?
1: Knowing my dad, it shouldn't have. Um it did because, you know, we're we're Portland as a city is is fairly homogenous, you know. I mean, I mean in general, I mean we're not you know, we're not the, the the ethnic capital of the world or 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 whatever, so um it it should not have surprised me because I you know, and we have people listen. Everybody who listens is not from the Foursquare denomination. Everybody that listens is not, uh, you know. We, we have our last Israel trip we took. We had a couple people that were that were Catholic that went with us, um, which which I loved because that tells me um, that that the program is is not in a good way is not offensive to people. Um, uh, it's again, it's just biblical principles, so that all people would feel comfortable coming with us on a trip. Um, that, that maybe aren't exactly aligned up theologically, but yet they know that they can trust us and can trust our heart and, and whatever. So, I, I mean, I love that stuff. That's the kind of stuff I love.
0: I think that speaks more to the world, the unchurched world, than anything else, mm-hmm. when the churches team up and combine to become the the one church, mm-hmm. crossing buildings and denominations and factions and political agendas and just getting mm-hmm. out there and serving people or— mm-hmm feeding homeless people under the bridge or making a a garden for the city because they can.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean there you know there 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 clearly are certain theological issues that are important but in in my personal opinion there's a lot of theological issues that people get hung up that that aren't as important and I, and I think it's more important to 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 you know to be the body of Christ
0: which is not to water down the truth. No, for sure. But for sure. It's also not to make mountains out of unnecessary molehills and and give an excuse if blue is your favorite
1: color and green's my favorite color we can still work together it's just you know there there are issues that are not salvation issues and and but i think we get hung up on those a lot it's fun. don't get me wrong it's fun to have theological discussions about that stuff but 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 it, it, i don't think you know we shouldn't it shouldn't be the focal point it's 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 just you know
0: we're allowed to have healthy debates yes. on non-salvation yes. issues but if we make them stumbling blocks or allow them to divide us as the church, I think the enemy just kind of sits back and laughs, like the amount of time I waste on Facebook, for instance. <laughs> okay, okay, I don't have to send any temptations his way. He's wasting enough time on his own. Right,
1: <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't see an advantage to that for us as Christians. I think you're right. I think it's just, it's, it is it serves a,
0: divide. a beautiful thing to see. Not your dad's words, but the Word of God spoken through your dad Mm -hmm. from a decade ago. Still bless and touch people today on Heart of the Word on KPDQ 93.9 FM, Monday through Friday mornings, 1.30 to 2 a.m., but also 1.30 to 2 p.m. every afternoon. Please feel free to give Ron Mel Jr. a call as the Director of Compassion Ministries and Heart of the Word Radio at 503. 626-0101, Six two six zero one zero one, and do check out the website, heartoftheword.org. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ron.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you, for, listeners, for listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800.